Hey everyone, Matt Meiselman here. I'm with Derek Cardi, and I think this is a much needed conversation that we're about to have where we're going to talk through some sports betting analysis. Uh, sports betting is now legal in New Jersey. Uh, Derek, you're from, you're from New Jersey, right? I am, yes. We've had legalized sports betting here for, I don't know, three or four months now, I guess. Yep, and I'm in New Jersey too, so uh, especially relevant for both of us, and then uh, both of us have some DFS expertise, uh, Derek certainly more than I do. Um, but we're going to kind of talk about how those things fit together and misconceptions people have uh, about both areas. So to start, I think I think I want to talk about how the bat is different from other projection systems. Uh, the bat is Derek's uh, projection source that he's built, and the bat doesn't take into account Vegas line data. Um, I think almost every other mainstream projection system does. So is that something that you decided consciously, or it's just that when you tested with Vegas data, it just didn't seem to work as well that way? That was definitely a conscious decision on my part. When I first started building it, um, when I first started building it, DFS wasn't even a thing yet. So like sports betting and DFS and that kind of thing wasn't even on my radar. So I started building it from like a sabermetric foundation to begin with. And then as I kind of went along and DFS became a thing, it was almost more like a challenge for myself to, to try to build something that, you know, that could be better than Vegas because especially at the time, like, you know, in the infancy of DFS, a lot of people were, were kind of just relying almost on Vegas exclusively. And I wanted to see if I could do better. So that's kind of why I didn't include Vegas in the first place. And then also the way, the way the system works, there wouldn't even really be a, like a place to, to put Vegas in. It's not like, I think a lot of models and stuff you see out there, it's just like, you know, a weighting of different things, you know, the players ISO and the players WOBA and the park factor and the Vegas line. And the bat works very differently than that since it projects every individual component for every individual player and then kind of puts it all together in a matchup sense. So like there wouldn't even really be a place to put Vegas in, into it. Okay. Well, so yeah, first of all, obviously you wouldn't want to use Vegas to try to beat Vegas. That would be pretty redundant right. and you would just end up, I don't know, you'd win half your bets that way, I guess. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize that. I thought that you were kind of weighing variables and then, um, I guess, testing for correlations to see which things would predict success the most. It's not that, I guess, the way the bat works is more like it simulates results. Is it fair to say that that's how it works? It's not a simulator. Um, it's more of, I guess, like a sabermetric kind of projection system where it looks at every individual component from, you know, obvious things like home runs and strikeouts down to you know, things that are super, super noisy, but, you know, you project them anyway and you regress them super, super heavily, like, you know, fielder's choices and reached on errors and catcher interference and stuff like that. And so you, the bat kind of projects every single possible event on the field based on, you know, the player's history, based on aging patterns, based on, you know, multiple weighted years and regression to the mean. And, and it uses some other things to help it kind of predict certain things, you know, like if just a basic example, you know, it, we would project a guy who's, who uh, who hits a lot of home runs to strike out more than a guy who hits fewer home runs. So, like, there's different things that get used to project each component. It's not just the component itself, but at the core level, it is projecting components, and then it kind of builds up from there. So the thing that first drew me to the bat is the way it accounts for... I guess things that aren't player specific lineups against a pitcher are player specific, but I think people generally have a very hard time with that. Like, especially at this point in the season where you get like the B team of teams that have clinched playoff spots already. And how does that affect a pitcher's projection? Because you can't just 
give an offense a rating based on how they've done all year when it's different players that aren't even from that team normally. Right. But then you have the umpire data and the weather data, and I guess that's the stuff that, unless you're using a projection system, you have no chance of accounting for those things. Right, and that's, I think, one of the things that kind of helps set the bat apart is that it does account for a lot of factors like that, you know, some bigger, some some very little ones. But I think kind of accounting for umpires and weather and, you know, the exact defensive alignment, the exact opposing, you know, batting order and all that kind of stuff, I think it just helps kind of convey edge because if you're looking at things, you know, at the team level or just kind of in like a broad sense, you kind of miss some of that subtlety, I think. Yeah, so like in the past, if I was betting and I saw a pitching matchup like Edwin Jackson versus Austin Gomber, let's say, and both guys are dramatically overrated by their ERAs, I would just assume the over has to be a good bet here because people are overrating the pitchers. And then I bet the over and then I turn on the game and the wind's blowing in and it's 40 degrees and it's like, oh, damn, I missed that. And that's why the line wasn't as high as I thought it would be. So the bat definitely catches that stuff basically all the time. I mean, it should. It's designed to. It accounts for the weather and the wind and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. So then there's the other stuff that I guess the bat misses where it's kind of any projection system can't catch these things. Like if a player is playing hurt or I don't know, there's some, I mean, I, I know how you feel about this with motivational factors, but I guess there could be circumstances where some, someone's motives are more or less than normal. And it's obvious that they would be. Then again, the Cubs this week have been terrible and the Cubs are supposed to have every reason to win. And the teams they've played against the White Sox and Pirates have had no reason to try to win. Um, So would you say that those things should be looked at or is it just that they're so insignificant relative to what people think of them that it's not worth considering because there's not zero there, but it's, it's small enough that maybe it's just not important. It's tough to say, and I think each of those kind of factors is different. I think something like playing injured, depending on the type of injury and the extent of the injury, could potentially have a huge impact. But these a lot of times are subjective or qualitative you know, things that we have imperfect information about, and so we really just can't account for it quantitatively, even though something you know, could be happening or is happening. And then I think things like motivation, you know, maybe there's something there, you know, maybe some players are affected by it more than others. We just don't know. It's another kind of case of imperfect information. And that one, I would think probably, even if we could perfectly quantify it, probably a a fairly small impact anyway, if I were to guess. Yeah. So one recent example is like, I've been manually uh, downgrading John Gray because everything about him looks just off. Like velocity is down, um, even his release point. So like maybe in the future, the bat could account for maybe there's like a mathematical way to tell if someone's injured. I think we, we don't know very much about that and pitchers change their mechanics even when they're not hurt, but maybe that's enough of a signal where it's predictive and it could be part of the system. I guess it's, it's just really hard to say. That's definitely stuff that I plan on looking at and already kind of have started looking at, but I want to kind of dig deeper and really try to see if there's some signal there because I mean, we have pitch FX and we have Statcast now and we have all this data on on pitchers and what their pitches are like and what their release points are like and how, you know, all the different characteristics they're in. And, and so there has to be something predictive in there to say, you know, either this guy is playing injured or even just something more basic where this guy's pitches are different now than they were a couple weeks ago or than they were a couple months ago or than they were last year and adjusting for that. 
And the bat does some very basic things when it comes to that. Like it accounts for velocity. Um, and, you know, I've started building a model over the past couple of years that looks at a lot more pitch level type stuff that I'm still kind of perfecting and would like to work into the bat at some point. Right. So I think the, the obvious area where I think most people are kind of aware of this now is a ground ball hitter does better against a fly ball pitcher and vice versa. But then I think it would make sense that a pitcher who gives up more fly balls would do better in a pitcher's park. He would be disproportionately rewarded more for the park than a ground ball pitcher who the park doesn't matter as much for because the park usually just matters for balls in the air. So like Wei and Chen in in Miami is getting as much of a park boost as you possibly could get because he's an extreme fly ball pitcher who, I mean, Chen, by the way, has just been as impossible to, well, not impossible to figure out because he does the same thing every time. He doesn't give up any runs when he pitches at home. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he was a guy who the bat was on almost every single home start this year, unless it was against, like, a good offense. Yeah, And he was really cheap for a while there. He was, like, 4K, and, you know, his ERA would be, like, 6 back in, like, May or whatever. And the bat would be like, no, he's at home. Play him. He's really cheap. And and we kind of see how that turned out, you know. And, and that's one of the things that I think, I mean, I guess if we're going to dovetail into park factors a little bit, like, mm-hmm. you can't apply the same park factor to every single player uniformly. Like, every player is affected differently by a park. You know, using Marlins Park as an example, it destroys home runs, which is why it helps Wei Yin Chen as an extreme fly ball pitcher. When Dee Gordon was a Marlin and he was playing there, he wasn't hurt by the park as much as, you know, like, Marcelo Zuna or Christian Yelich was because D. Gordon's not hitting home runs anyway. He doesn't care that, you know, Marlins Park suppresses home runs by 30% for the average hitter. Right, and to the same point, Giancarlo Stanton isn't affected by the park either. Well, not really, because most of his home runs would clear any fence no matter where it is anyway. So I guess it matters more for a fringe-type home run hitter. Like Ozuna, I guess, hits probably a lot of warning track flyouts there where Stanton would clear the fence anyway just because his power is so so extreme. right. I guess this this kind of ties into Chen, actually. Um, the first day that I used the bat, I think, Chen was, he was min price on DraftKings and he was at home against the Nationals. And the line for Chen, I think the Marlins opened at plus 170 and moved to about plus 140. And almost everyone was betting Washington. So it was going totally against the public. The site that I normally use to track this is sportsinsights.com. There's a bunch of them, though. I think uh, Sports Betting Review is the other one. There's a couple other big ones where they just give you the breakdown of what percentage of the bet tickets are on each side. Um, So it looked good to me that the bat agreed with the Sharps. And then also the results were great. I think it had nine strikeouts that day or something and gave up one run. So I personally just like it more when the bat agrees with the Sharp money because a lot of times that line movement that's against the public sentiment is because maybe there's an injury or there's a there's a quirk in the matchup where, I don't know, maybe the Nationals were starting a few extra lefties that day, something like that, where a projection system usually catches it, but it if it's injury-related, it probably wouldn't. So, I don't know, are you considering looking at how lines are moving, or at the very least, do you think people are over applying the lines? Like which, which side of that do you think you're on? I think it kind of depends on the circumstance. I think there are definitely times where, you know, a line just flat out looks wrong or looks bad. And a lot of times it's related to, you know, it's a weaker lineup than normal or, or something like that. And I think if for DFS purposes, if we're trying to use that line to say, this is what the team's going to do today. And it's just an obviously bad line. Then I think 
you know, we're going to be in trouble if we try to do that. And I think, you know, a more complex system or at least a system that we know what goes into it, you know, is maybe a little bit more reliable than that. And then obviously tracking the sharp money when they're in agreement is always a good thing. Yeah, I think we should clarify what sharp money is because it seems like a concept that people just generally don't get. Like, I think anytime a line moves dramatically, people attribute that to wise guys in Vegas must be betting it and that's why it's moving. And it's just it's just not the case. But I guess even more simple than that is just how Vegas lines are set. So I think there's a couple misconceptions here. First is one that probably p- people don't have anymore is that Vegas is trying to predict an outcome when they set a line. I think most people are aware that that's not the main goal. They're not trying to say the over-under 7.5, we think there's an average of 7.5 runs in this game. Right. Um, they're trying to get even action on both sides. But even that, I think, is a misconception because while that's generally the case that Vegas is trying to get even action on both sides, there are certain games where they know that one side is a worse bet than another side, and they're basically letting the public keep betting one side without moving the line up. And sometimes even pushing the line further away from that team so that people will be even more enticed to uh, to bet on that team. So one example, and I remember the bat did really well with this one too, was when James Paxton pitched against Justin Verlander um, in Seattle and Verlander got shelled in the first inning. Seattle had opened that game plus 150 and everyone was betting against them because I guess Paxton was maybe just coming off the DL or something like he always is. Uh, and Verlander had been good <laughs> recently and it's Astros Mariners, but Vegas moved that line to pick them all the way from the Mariners being plus 150, even though everyone was taking Houston. Um, so clearly, like there were, there were no other injuries. Both teams had their regular starters and everything. But Vegas thought that the Mariners were a better bet. And they essentially, it looked like, wanted as many people to bet on Houston as possible. That kind of stuff is always so fascinating. Like I've, I've only kind of just started getting into, you know, really starting heavily getting into the gambling side over the past, you know, six months to a year. And I don't always notice all the intricacies like that, especially because I've got a lot else going on. I'm not always looking at at the line, especially on days when I'm not when I'm not betting. But I mean, that kind of thing is just so fascinating. Yeah. So like when that's happening to me, it's like I want to upgrade the players for DFS. Obviously, DFS production isn't totally intertwined with whether the team wins or not. Like strikeouts are more probably more important than run prevention for a pitcher to a limit. Um, for DFS scoring. So, I mean, you can look too much into that. I've definitely fallen victim to that where I just want to play a pitcher because his win probability is undervalued and he may not even be a strikeout pitcher and then it just goes poorly because he wins the game and gets two strikeouts. But um, from actual betting, it like if you can catch that line before it drops and you can kind of see it starting to drop, then there's a huge edge to be had there where you can almost bet based on the data and not so much on the projections. Like, I think the, the perfect combination is having both and having a good projection system and having a good eye for the lines. And I guess you could argue which one matters more, but there's a lot there because, I don't know, maybe something was wrong with Verlander that day, or maybe it's just James Paxson at home shouldn't be that big of an underdog. Right. And, and I think your point about um, how the Vegas line doesn't always capture everything for, from a DFS sense is, is a big one. It's something I've kind of talked about for years, and I think people understand a lot more than they used to but like just because a pitcher is is a heavy favorite or has a low implied team total doesn't necessarily make him a good play or the or you know the best play like run prevention is only one part of the equation strikeouts matter a lot you know the win in general 
I mean, maybe not so much anymore, but at least, you know, a year or two ago was definitely overrated a lot. And, and I think pitch count is, is a huge part that, that people even now just do not consider at all, which pitcher has a really long leash, which pitcher has a really short leash. And people have general ideas at the extremes now, you know, like Dodgers pitchers get yanked earlier, but when it's a little bit more subtle, people still really aren't considering that. And it's, it's so huge. Um, you know, how much of the game is actually going to be pitched by the starter and how much is going to be pitched by the bullpen. Obviously, if you're rastering the pitcher, you want him to be pitching as much of the game as possible. Right. A, a low implied total against, let's say, Noah Syndergaard is a lot more important than a low implied total against CC Sabathia. Like the, the low total against Sabathia is because of the Yankees' bullpen for the most part, and he's right. probably not pitching very long. I mean, Brian Johnson, I think, was was one of the more popular pitchers one day because he was a huge favorite against the Marlins, and Brian Johnson pitches four innings most of the time. It, it, it didn't matter how many runs the Red Sox were going to score. He wasn't getting the win almost no matter what he did. So, yeah, people are definitely looking into the Vegas lines too much, but I think they just they don't understand that if a game has... If two games have the same over-under, the distribution there isn't the same either. It's not just that um, the money lines are dependent on starting pitcher versus bullpen and that sort of stuff. That's true, but then there's also that... Not every total of nine runs is the same. Some kind of converge around nine, and then if you have more of a high-variance situation, you might like the nine over-under for batters more, for pitchers more, depending on the other circumstances. So like, I think people will see the same over-under for two games and just assume it's the same, and it's, it's often not even close to the same. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a really good point. And I think, too, a lot of times people will look at at the team totals and they won't when, when they're picking their offensive players, they'll look at the team totals and they won't realize how much each individual player in the lineup is actually being, you know, implicitly projected to contribute to that total. Let's say, you know, like the, the Dodgers and the A's have the exact same team total tonight. They're both high and people will think that, you know, Dodgers players and A's players are equally good. Whereas, that's maybe not necessarily true. Actually, Dodgers and A's is probably a bad example. Let's say, like, Angels and Dodgers. Angels and Dodgers. So, like, the Dodgers lineup, it's, like, good top to bottom. They have, you know, a couple stars, but, like, it's it's a pretty condensed lineup where everyone's going to be contributing a good amount, you know, roughly equally-ish. Whereas the Angels, you know, they have Mike Trout and, and Otani and Justin Upton and then a bunch of trash around them. And so Trout and Upton and Otani are going to be projected by, you know, implicitly projected to be – hitting better than anyone in the Dodgers lineup given the same team total because the rest of the lineup around them is going to be contributing less. And I think people really miss that even, even nowadays. Yeah. Just to give another example, it's a little bit dated, but from earlier in the season, like I was okay stacking Royals with low totals because all of their offense was coming from Perez, Moustakis, I guess, Maryfield right. and Duda. And the bottom of the lineup would do nothing. It was like Alcides Escobar and maybe a few more of him. I don't know. A lot of players that are like Alcides Escobar. So yeah, it's, it matters how condensed the production is because yeah, like you're saying, you're you're not using nine hitters in your stack. You're using some of them, and if all of the if the one through five in a team contributes five runs, and then the six through nine hitters get five more runs, that doesn't even that doesn't really change anything for you except for maybe a few extra plate appearances. So yeah, it it definitely that definitely is true, um, and then beyond that, it's just. There could be more randomness for certain teams. Like, I'm not sure who the best example is this year. Maybe 
I don't know, it was the Orioles when they hit more home runs last year. Uh, now they're just bad. But maybe a team like the A's or the Mariners that's more reliant on home runs where um, if they have an over-under of nine, it might be more reasonable to expect a 15-run outlier performance there than from a Tigers team with an over-under of 10 because the Tigers, it's it's much harder for them to hit a lot of home runs in a game, especially in a worse park. Right. Is that I, I something think the Yankees are, are a team that that seems to be the case with yeah. a lot, where they can you know they can score one or two runs, or, or they can go off because especially when they're in Yankee Stadium and they have so much power, and you know they they could wind up hitting a bunch of home runs, or they could wind up hitting none. Have you also thought about um, if there are two implied totals against two pitchers, and one of the pitchers is really bad and one is really good? That alone is an indicator that there's more upside against the good pitcher. Um, so an, a five-run total against DeGrom is a lot more relevant than a five-run total against Heath Fillmeyer because on the surface, for there to be a five-run total against DeGrom, there must be some other extreme factor that's driving that. Whereas with Heath Fillmeyer, it's just that's how he always is. Right, exactly. Do you want to cover other sports with this? Like, do you want to get into football a little bit? I know you're working on the Blitz. Like, I think I'll ask you this first. Do you think baseball is the sport where Vegas lines are the most relevant and it starts to become less and less relevant in other sports? Relevant in terms of like how well they predict outcomes for DFS purposes? Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure. I mean, my impression has always been that that Vegas lines for baseball are, are more beatable than they are for a sport like football. Football, you know, they have a lot of extra time to, to kind of tweak the lines and get out, you know, a better line in the first place and, a lot of time for you know sharp bettors to, to do research and, and place bets throughout the week and all kinds of stuff like that. And football is just more popular, you know, to begin with. So they're getting more volume on their football bets. So you know, theoretically, they need to put in more time to make them sharper. Whereas baseball, there's you know 15 games every single day, roughly, and you know only a few hours, you know, in between, you know, games ending and putting up a new line and all that kind of stuff. So I, I kind of seem to think that that baseball is a little more beatable or a little less sharp than, than say football is. Yeah. I think I agree with that from a pure betting perspective that baseball seems to be an easier sport to bet on probably mostly due to the lack of volume on it. Um, and then I guess there are more, there's more of a divide between saber metrics and the stuff that mainstream betters use where in football, everyone's kind of using similar stuff. Um, mm. I think the average baseball better is looking at ERA. They're looking at, Pitcher wins, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure if that. I'm not sure if they're using that to actually bet, or it's just a silly argument people make. Um, but then also narratives and motivation and that. That's all there in every other sport. Um, but the the sharper betters in baseball have more to look at, whereas in football, it's I don't know. It's it's more of a mess. Uh, the data there. So I think for that reason too, baseball is easier to bet on. Um, but for DFS, like the players' production is more closely tied, I think, to if the team will win, and the hitters are more closely tied to runs. Like in basketball, blocks and steals have nothing to do with the outcome of a game, basically. Um, so, like, the Vegas lines are almost irrelevant there. Like in basketball, the, the pace of the game may matter. Like a faster game will just have more statistics across the board. Uh, but a game with better players and a higher scoring game or if a team is favored, the, I don't know. Baseball, it seems for all of that to be more relevant, um, except for maybe hockey. I don't know if we need to get into hockey. Uh, I'm not sure what your interest level is there, but... Football is confusing. Like, how do you, well, do you want to talk about how the blitz works kind of like in the same terms as how we talked about the bat? Yeah, the blitz is designed very similarly to the bat. Honestly, you know, everything gets projected on 
on an individual player component level, and then it gets put together, you know, as kind of like the team level. And then there's obviously team level stuff, you know, that gets projected that isn't even like a consideration when it comes to baseball. You know, you have to project how often the team's going to pass and how often the team's going to run. And, you know, whether that shifts when they get into the red zone, when you're trying to project touchdowns and all that kind of stuff, you know, pace of play, you know, is a thing in football that doesn't really matter at all in baseball. And so there, there's a lot of like team level stuff and some of it just by nature has to be more subjective. You know, when, when a team changes coaches, you can't look at what they were doing last year under, under a completely different coach because it's not necessarily relevant. And so there's a lot of like team level stuff that goes into it as well. Football is, I really enjoy doing football. I think it's so much fun, um, but there is a little bit more subjectivity to it. You know, how often is a player going to get targeted or how, you know, what percentages of the carries is a running back going to get or that kind of thing. You know, we can, we can try to, you know, apply some sort of mathematical foundation to, but there is always going to be, you know, the need for a little bit of a subjective touch to that as well. Yeah, and it does seem like that's true the most for football. I mean, a little bit in basketball with predicting playing time. Well, I guess football is similar to where you don't actually even know if a player is going to be on the field or on the court for a certain amount of time in the game. So you you definitely need some subjectivity there, especially if, like you said, there's a coaching disparity from a previous data set. So, yeah, the, those sports have more subjectivity. Baseball doesn't really have much. Well, if you're doing it properly, it doesn't really have much of it at all. So I think, yeah, it's another reason why baseball is just an easier sport to manage from like a betting and probably also from a DFS perspective. I do think hockey is the most closely tied to Vegas because like goalie wins are basically the whole scoring for a goalie. Um, Like all of their points are derived from whether the team wins or not. And there's so few scoring plays in a game that like if you're not getting goals and assists, then you're probably not scoring very many points where other sports are kind of, there are other ways to score. I think the sharp money for hockey matters more than all of them, but uh, yeah, most people don't even play hockey DFS, so we don't have to get into that really at all. I can't say I know much of anything about hockey, but that does make sense what you're saying. Yeah, and I guess soccer plays out the same way where it would work. I don't, I don't know much right. about soccer either, but I, I, I would think that the sport works kind of the same way with so few scoring plays in a game. True. Um, let's see. Anything else that you want to cover? No, I mean. I think we've kind of, I think we've kind of hit on some valuable stuff in here. I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to get into or, or what. Yeah, I think I just wanted to reiterate this this why lines move thing, and to kind of caution against this idea that because a team's implied run total is changing so much, you should use more of their players in your lineup and you should bet on the team because the line's moving. Um, the bat had this game pegged pretty well yesterday, actually. Uh, the line was moving very, very heavily against Chris Archer and towards the Cubs. Um, it wasn't entirely clear if it was for the hitters or the pitchers, but just in terms of winning the game, everyone was betting the Cubs, and Vegas, I guess, wasn't getting the sharper bets on the other side, so they just kept moving it with all the bets. Um, and the Cubs were probably a bad bet last night. Mike Montgomery against Chris Archer. And right. the, the only reason you would bet the Cubs is if you're buying into they have to win and the Pirates have nothing to play for. Um, right. So yeah, the, the bat had Pirates hitters as much better values. I, I don't remember what it said about Chris Archer. I think he was just really expensive, so it didn't matter. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's something to keep in mind always, whether you're betting or playing DFS. Don't get suckered into a line has moved a lot, so it must mean that there's something going on there. Because it could just be a lot of groupthink, a lot of bias, a lot of 
people all believing the same thing for a reason that might not even be valid. Right. And I think groupthink is just, I mean, we could, we could have, you know, hours worth <laughs> of talking just about that alone. Like groupthink is so prevalent, and, um, you know, I guess on the betting side and then certainly on the DFS side, there's a lot of plays that you'll see being chalked some nights and you're just like, why, why is this person chalk? Like it makes no sense when you actually dig into it and so many people are on him and group, groupthink is just, such a fascinating topic, but we probably should not get into that right now. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a different topic. Uh, I'm going to give you a bit of good news. Uh, Herman Marquez finally uh, didn't get a strikeout. That's uh, oh, that's good news. What is he at now? Twelve. He, he has struck out ten and eleven batters. You really? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, depending on when we depending when we post this, people might not know what day it's from. But this is the night that Herman Marquez struck out twenty or so, or whatever it ends up being. And I made a bet that Herman Marquez would not outscore both Jacob deGrom and Chris Sale. And I'm going to lose this bet. <laughs> I think you certainly are. Uh, he's, he's given up a hit now, so there you go. Maybe he'll give up a few more in a row. And he's got a long way to go. To lo- he's got to lose a lot of points now because Chris Sale didn't have a good game. Uh, deGrom did, but uh, not enough strikeouts to match Marquez. So, yeah, you're going to probably need four or five runs to be given up here. That is insane. All right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, sorry that you, you've you lost, it seems like. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Um, it's been it's been fun. And, uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully, whoever's listening, hopefully you learned something because uh, there's, there's a lot here and there's a lot of people don't know. And even for us, I think there's more to learn. But especially for people who haven't looked at all into this stuff, uh, there's, there's a lot that's untapped still. All right. Well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right.